This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, Brandon Leak joins our series on the world's best working poets. It's a look into his own writing, his journey, and his time on America's Got Talent and how he won it all. He's an interesting man, and he looks to inspire you, and I think he will coming up on the podcast. Blaine Kylo talks about the 20th anniversary of Xbox and some interesting tracking info about your iPhone. And are you okay with uh, snorting drugs on an airplane? <laughs> Most people are going to say no, but it's coming up as well. Are you okay? Are you okay with dealing with passengers on an airplane? No. No, nope. I want to fly alone. Ooh, you're going to need a raise there, big fella. Yeah. You're looking to fly in your <laughs> yeah. own plane. You're going to need a couple of combined salaries to yeah. reach that peak. I need. I think you need to, there's usually, it's neutral. You know, the passenger is just someone else that's there that's not going to bother you. I remember the one time I was on a plane and I had the, you know, the aisle to myself and uh, I sit down and then a mom with maybe a two-year-old sits beside me and she could see the panic in my eyes and she goes, don't worry, she flies a lot. They were silent the whole way. So in that regard, passengers like that, great. But I've also had right. people yell at stewardess and babies cry for the whole way. So Flight attendants, jeez. Politically correct, Ryan. Um, well, that's right. See, My forget, right? I forgot. Yeah. Uh, look, flight attendants go through things that are um, that are crazy, what people go put them through on airplanes. And that's why I really believe that just being nice to a flight attendant can be amazing. Because sometimes it can get you a little free ride, too. Just saying. All right. People had to deal with a very unruly, ru- unruly, 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 Hmm. Uh, people had to deal with a very upset uh, passenger this week. The man was reportedly erratic, an anti-masker, and was booted off the flight after snorting something. <laughs> Do you have any liquids with you? No, just a bag of Coke. Uh, JetBlue Flight 915 was, quote, forced to divert to Minneapolis after a customer on board began acting erratically and aggressively towards crew members and other customers. The airline said in a statement the flight was met by law enforcement. The customer was removed and the flight continued to San Francisco. Here's more from ABC7. So we, uh, as a team, made the decision to come here. So. Cheering from passengers on a JetBlue plane that departed New York's JFK en route to San Francisco International Airport, one that had to be diverted to Minneapolis due to an unruly passenger. Uh, gesturing, stabbing motions towards the other passenger, and it was also observed erratic behavior and snorting a white substance. Witnesses say that passenger had a bag full of that white substance, touched at least one other woman, made inappropriate comments to numerous female passengers, yelled racial slurs towards passengers upon boarding, and refused to wear a mask. When he got to his seat, he started... Um, yelling that he wanted a white Porsche. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to, but that's what he was saying. So he kept walking back and forth to the bathroom. He had no shoes on. He smelled awful. In this video taken by a passenger, those with JetBlue explained that they had to move one female passenger away from the man. Upon landing in Minneapolis, witnesses we talked with say the man in question was met by officers and the FBI. Man, wow! Talk about a mile high club, holy! Wow, that is real, literally a mile high. Hey, holy cow! Um, all right, cool. So, uh, Anthony, Mark Anthony Skirbo, forty-two of Mechanicville. Yeah, Me- Me- <laughs> seriously, was calling out for his yeah. Porsche in New York. Was arrested at the airport on drug possession. Uh, jail records show that that's what he uh, ended up being arrested for. He was still in custody on Tuesday and scheduled to appear in court on Wednesday. The flight continued en route, arrived nearly two hours late, but it did arrive, which is probably all good. Uh, that'd be scary in an airplane because you'd, you'd be like, eh, what's happening here? You know, that would be yeah, pretty scary. So There's not much you can do except try to calm him down. But, I mean, if he's got a whole bag full of unnamed white substance. 
You never yeah. know. How did he get that on the plastic? That's can't a even, really good question. I can't even bring my plastic water bottle on, and this guy is bringing on white substance. How did well, he get that? I guess they wouldn't, they wouldn't, security wouldn't stop you, would they? They wouldn't stop you. Because, I mean, it's just a bag of whatever, 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 whatever. You know, like that would just be a thing. So, I don't know. I guess. Why don't you try it? Yeah, see how it goes. And let I, us know. Report back to us. But just oh, it's from your jail cell. I want to bring my Dasani water bottle on. Like it's, it's. I just want to stay hydrated. And, oh man. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Well, um, okay. Well, there we go. Moving on. Are you okay? Are you okay with drag racing? Depends on the class. Funny car over top fuel. But I always liked pro stock. Wow. I like that you know what you're talking about here, Brennan. Nice. <laughs> I okay. love it when a car, like a Mini Cooper, it pulls up to the you know the start line and it's beside a Lamborghini or like a souped up Dodge Charger. And then the Mini Cooper is three th- times faster than it because it's got an enormous turbo and supercharged engine in it. I, th- I love that. Right. You're talking about street racing. See, now I'm talking about NHRA. You want your John Force and your Don Prudhomme and, and those legends of the sport? Legends Whoa. of the funny car. Hey, wow. <laughs> Let me guess. Did you used to be a, a drag driver or something? In your, maybe a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, used to, I just watched a lot on Sunday mornings. I always watched NHRA today on the old TNN when I was like eight, maybe. Wow. U.S. President Joe Biden took off like a drag racer earlier today while test driving Ford's lightning electric truck in Michigan. Biden raced like a bat out of hell when he was asked about the conflict in the Middle East. He literally uh, just drove away. He stepped off Air Force One earlier. He came face to face uh, on the tarmac with one of his biggest critics on the issue, Palestinian-American lawmaker Rashid Tlaib. This is sort of how it went. Mr. President. This sucker is quick. How's it drive? Mr. President, can I ask you a quick question on Israel before you drive away? No, you can't. Uh, not unless you get in front of the car as I step on it. <laughs> I'm only teasing. Okay, here we go. You ready? See it, sir. <laughs> so, wait a second, because if Donald Trump had said to a reporter, not unless you're going to get in front of the car when I step on it, that would have been. They would be. Yeah. CNN uh, would be on location reporting that yeah. he was an attempted murderer and he should be guilty of uh, conspiring to manslaughter a, a press agent. Like, that's now, not fair, okay. Now, Biden did say, I'm only teasing. So mm-hmm. all's fair. <laughs> oh, right. As long as you. That's like saying, bless your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's I, okay I when you say, fast bless your heart. You went there. I've Jesus seen. was like, mm-hmm. nope some online criticism that that was not very presidential from some Republican pundits. Um, It's interesting that they would say that, eh? (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah. It is kind of ironic. All right, this is Are You Okay? 877-399-9898. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Let us know if you are okay. Are you okay? With kids asking you questions. Oh, you have to be. It's endless. I was going to say, it's endless. One starts, it just immediately follows the other. But Uh it's kind of fun at first, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I'll teach you something. And then eventually it's, why is the sky blue? Because. Why are you mad at me? Because. And then when you ask them a question and say, because, then you're like, because is not a good answer. (laughs) Then you're a hypocrite. (laughs) Why'd you have a bad day at school? Because. How was school? Good. A bus driver is being heralded as a hero for calmly diffusing a hostage situation on his school bus. (laughs) But he says, well, no, it's not funny. Not that part. Um, (laughs) He says the kids were, I was reading. Okay, what just happened was I was reading a line ahead. I was laughing at the line that you hadn't heard yet. So that got really out of context there. Yeah, so I was laughing at the next line. So I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. Why? Because 
A bus driver is being heralded as a hero for calmly defusing a hostage situation on a school bus. Not laughing. But he says the kids are really the ones that need to be thanking. Kenneth Corbin spoke exclusively to Good Morning America on Monday about how he was able to hold a gunman off and what the students said to the man that helped keep them safe for six minutes until help arrived. This is ABC News. This was the heart-stopping moment an Army trainee used a rifle to hijack a South Carolina school bus with 18 children inside earlier this month. Bus driver Kenneth Corbin keeping his cool and the children safe for six painstaking minutes. Ten-year-old Keandre James was one of the students on board. I called my dad and so I was telling him that I was being held hostage. The gunman eventually letting Corbin and the children get out to safety. Police identifying the gunman as 23-year-old Jovan Colazzo. This morning, he remains in custody, facing two dozen charges, including 19 counts of kidnapping. A veteran school bus driver, Corbin, had recently completed annual training about what to do if a bus is taken hostage. You can see and hear how calm he was, how controlled he was, and how his training um, was put to good use. State officials honoring Corbin Friday for being a hero under extreme pressure. For Good Morning America, Janae Norman, ABC News, New York. Why are you on the bus? Why do you have a gun? Why are you holding us hostage? Why are you so tall? Do you brush your hair? Did you brush your teeth today? Oh my goodness. That's um, exactly what happened. That's crazy. Good Morning America was able to interview Kenneth. Here's a clip of him saying, kids are the true heroes. They pretty much had my back as much as uh, my concern were with them. And and at the end, when they started questioning him, you know, it, it, it seemed to have frustrated him because his main objective were to get to the next town. Mm. But in the end, I think we only rode about four miles and he just got frustrated with the questions and just told me to stop the bus and just get off. All y'all get off. And that was, that was about it. Wow. Uh, police <laughs> believe Johan Colazzo and the, 23, the 23-year-old trainee from New Jersey in his third week at Fort Jackson appear to be trying to get home. He remains in custody, facing two dozen charges, including 19 counts of kidnapping. Apparently, the man gave up after being asked a million questions a minute. Does this mean I don't have to go to gym class? Can you help me with my homework? <laughs> have you seen my lunch? I need to go pee. <laughs> I almost wow. feel empathy this, towards the kids guy. are going to hear this and know that it's a weapon that they can use Ooh, to get out good. of anything. All right. This, I, uh, I don't think I knew what this was. This, are you okay? And I still don't think I know what it is because I've heard it used many different ways and maybe I've misunderstood, but this is where learning begins. Are you Okay. Are you okay with cicadas? The bug that is makes the the, the sound in the summertime. Well, isn't Does, like a that like a bad guy or a drug thing? Uh, uh, no, this is definitely about the bug. Um, the bug they're kind of cool in that they live underground for 17 years and then they pop up. But they're really annoying and make a lot of noise, especially in the and States. They, they hibernate for a really, really long time, right? Well, yeah, they and basically they, live yeah. most of their life and then they come out, out, of ground, under, out of the ground to mate and then they go back in. So what am I thinking of when someone says they, cicadas? Like I could have sworn that was like a... <laughs> Like a drug mafia. I have group. no clue where you're getting that from. Really? Maybe are you associating it with the word cartel? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I am. I am somehow. It's like the word cicada. Like I'm I'm like, this is I, I get that it's a bug. I heard it was a bug, but then someone said cicada season. I was like, this when all the drug guys come out? Like I didn't I truly had no idea that it does it mean anything other than the bug help me out 
Well, let's uh, um, let's get this weird story here. There can be loud like airplanes. They emerge from the ground after 17 years. I don't understand how they all know to emerge at the same time. Uh, but hold your butts. This is a weird story, period. A fungus laced with the same chemical as magic mushrooms can infect cicadas, causing their butts to fall off. That's going to suck. Um, here's more from NPR. This is stranger than fiction, you know, to have something that's, you know, being manipulated by a fungus to be hypersexual and to have prolonged stamina um, and just mate like crazy. That is Matt Casson, Associate Professor of Forest Pathology and Mycology at West Virginia University. Now that fungus he's talking about, it's called Mesospora, and it means cicadas lose more than just their skins. Here's what happens. Just before the cicadas rise from the ground, the spores of this fungus start to infect the bug. Once the cicada is above ground, it sheds its skin, becomes an adult, and its butt falls off. And a white plug of fungus starts to emerge. So it looks as if the backside of the cicada is being replaced either by chalk or by like one of those nubby middle school erasers that were all like known to, you know, to use back in the day. That white plug is full of spores. And as the infected cicadas fly around and try to mate, they are just spreading their spores from one partner to another. In that sense, it's it's sexually transmissible. It's a failed mating attempt, of course, because there's no genitalia back there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so... Uh, according to to use today, <laughs> um, what? Oh, according use to instead you, of USA. <laughs> according That's to use today, there. That's funny. <laughs> uh, depending on how prevalent it is in certain areas, massospora can sometimes have noticeable effect on cicada populations. And I would like to thank all of the shift heads who just saved me and said. Hey, Shane, are you thinking Sicario? Oh, (laughs) that's it. Which would be uh, Hitman. And uh, yeah, thank you. I feel silly, but I truly got Sicario and Cicadas mixed up. This is the Shift Podcast. As we continue through this I guess we call it a series. I don't know why do we put that in a box, Ryan. Ryan, we like, we put it in a box that we've got to call it a series. Uh, I'm learning that the more that we do these series of topics, the more that I realize that there really is no box to put them in, and we just talk to really cool people. So let me introduce you to Brandon Leek. He is a poet. He is from Merca. Um, from the West Coast. Yeah, he's by Frisco, which is uh, one of my favorite places in the world uh, to go about an hour away, and uh, it's beautiful there. Unless you're connecting on a flight, then it's always foggy. Don't ever connect in San Francisco. That's good advice, Brandon. You must have experienced that. Uh, only place worse is LAX. Yeah, <laughs> LAX. <laughs> man, oh, man. Um, I love San Francisco. It is a great place. The Warfield is one of my favorite places that I've ever been to to see shows. So that's really cool. Uh, Congratulations on your success. That is incredibly generic of me to say, but I really don't know how to put my finger on it because not only um, have you had all of your hard work for like your overnight success that took a decade, um, your poetry, spoken word, has become the forefront Thanks to your time on America's Got Talent. So, um, how do you feel today, and and how does that how does that look for you? Was this mainstream thing always part of your part of your makeup? Yeah, I, uh, you know, spoken word has been a part of my life for a minute now. Like middle school was probably when I first got rolling with it. Cause girls started looking cute in middle school. So I, uh, you know, back in the day before cell phones and when, you know, you too broke to have a pager, you have to ask girls out one of two ways. You either go up to them and ask them, will you be my girlfriend? Or you, you know, kind of punk out and you send a note with, will you be my girlfriend? Yes or no with the checkbox at the bottom. <laughs> um, so my method was I wrote a poem and I, have a little checkbox at the bottom and the last line of the poem was uh will you be my boo 
because uh, Usher is my boo was popping yep. at the time. So song. it was like, you know, the play on the words. And uh, yeah, man, um, needless to say, the, the, the poem never went to the girl who I wrote it for. It went to one of my really good friends. Her name's Rebecca. And then she and I ended up dating for like six months. So, okay, well, that's interesting. So it kind of went to Rebecca and then you're like, well, it worked. So we might as well ride this out or how did <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty much how it works. She never knew that until I shared the story on the news here locally one day. And she was like, you never told me that. And I was like, never came came up in casual conversation. Um, but then my honest time with spoken word got started in college. I was a Division II basketball player. And one of my best friends had died due to some gang violence issues. And I needed an outlet to be able to share my frustrations. And so I uh, took pen to pad and uh, it felt good. Okay. Before I move on, what was the original girl's name that you were, uh, who were you hoping to be your boo? Oh, her, her name's Amelia. Um, super funny. I ran into her too shortly after that story got uh, hit the news. And she was like, Brandon, I never knew that like you wanted to date me. And I was like, yeah. She was like, I thought you were so cute in middle school. And I was like, well, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> and life goes on. Okay, so you started with college, and one of the first pieces you did on America's Got Talent was a piece about your life. Uh, you wrote about your family. And when you get to college and you're looking to be complete on some of these stories of your life, you're looking to maybe clean up your heart a little bit, were you able to go backwards in time and, and sort of sit with these benchmarks in your life of, of, you know, love stories like Rebecca and Amelia or heartbreak? Were you able to clean up backwards once you get started? How did that work for you? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, man. Cause like I, I showed up to college with no intentions of doing spoken word at all. Like I, I purely went to college cause I was trying to be the next Kobe Bryant. Um, like hoping was it. But once I dove into it, I think my original time with spoken word was a real spiritual experience. Um, being a Christian, I was utilizing my time writing to be able to express questions, concerns, issues, and like super high crescendo moments of my faith. Um, and it was really more of an examination of where I was at at the time than it was of anything of the past. I think my past examination and cleaning came really after graduation, after a woman who I was going to get engaged to, she and I broke up like two days after I bought an engagement ring for her. Um, and I took like a year off poetry because I like I lost my job had to move back into my mom's house, staying in a bedroom with my eight-year-old little brother. You know, that's how everybody imagines getting their bachelor's degree going. Mm. Um, and uh, I was, during that year of like not really doing a whole lot of writing or a whole lot of performing, I think what happened to me was I learned um, the valuable lesson of how, of how necessary humility can be in the process of growth. Um, so yeah. When you come back from that, was it just a firestorm of stuff? Was it all pent up or did you have to, were you like the guy, the, the Kobe that's been on the bench for a year or on the farm team and you, you're rusty and it took a long time to get moving? Um, I think it was more fire starter, just like running. Like I had had all these poems that I started writing. I dropped an album. I did a 26 city tour here on the West coast and like I had a great time, but uh, I think the difference that really began to happen after that season of break and during that fire time, that fire time was just passion. It was just me running and gunning for it. Um, after the fire began to settle came the refinement of, Hey, there's not just self-expression here. There's also art here, right? And there's an art to what spoken word is that you now have to learn to be able to become better at it the same way you learned how to become better at basketball. So I started looking at how to write better, how to perform better. And so 
I think that fire was great for a season because it ignited something in me that just said, right, 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 right. And then after that came the, it's kind of like, you know, in the beginning of when you learn, like when you love a sport, you just go play it, you play it, you play it, you play it. And then you realize, oh, to be better at this, I have to practice it. So I learned that I needed to practice my art the same way I practice my art of basketball. I like that. What I just wrote down, let me confess, was I wrote down, did you learn how to train before you learned how to play the game? So that's what I, that was what I wrote down. So you beat me to it. That's amazing. Um, so you took your, you took your work and, you know, obviously you've done the circuits, the poetry circuits and all those performing things, but th- there's a couple of things here that are, are a little bit different. How many times did you get told when you brought up America's got talent? Like, dude, the only guys who want an America's got talent are poets and singers or excuse me, uh, comedians and singers. Yeah, man. I, uh, I couldn't tell you the number of people who asked why America's got talent. Like, why'd you go on that show? Um, in the same way that, you know, the, the indication behind that is you're not going to win. Right. And for me, I said, well, where else would I go? There's no national poetry competition show. Deaf poetry jam no longer exists. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I'm not singing, so American Idol is not a home. I'm not dancing, so you know, uh, you know, uh, America's Best Dance Crew isn't isn't a home. I'm like, the only place I can go is this place yeah. um, to find, you know, a mainstream home, if you will. Um, and I never even wanted a mainstream home. Like, I I went to America's Got Talent because I honestly just wanted to see if I could do it. I never thought I would win. Yeah. Well, it was very apparent from the very beginning. I mean, I didn't watch it in series when it was on the TV, but I've watched it since on YouTube and whatnot. And it's very apparent how quickly you garnered everyone's attention. It was almost like if I could be a little bit judgmental, it was almost like they looked at you and said, you know, who the hell is this guy who thinks he could do poetry on this TV show? And then you started and they're like, whoa and it's like these feelings that that show hasn't ever felt before it was cool yeah i mean like i i still remember that day so like my initial audition the poem that i did about my sister um that day was hellacious i uh so it was a saturday morning i was supposed to go there on a monday but covid was ramping up here in the states and so it was the day that California shut down. So on Friday, I get a phone call saying, hey, if you want to audition for the show still, you need to be here tomorrow by 8 a.m. My daughter is 14 days old at the time. Whoa. So I call my wife. I'm like, hey, can can I go? She's like, go chase after it. So my car dies on the mountain range right oh, before you no. hit L.A. coming from my area. And... I just pray and I'm like, yo, just let me get there. Yo, God, just let me get there. Car starts back up. We get rolling. I get to my hotel at like 3 a.m. with an 8 a.m. call time, which means you have to be up by 7. Wow. Um, and so, to and I remember vividly Simon being like, I'm not a big fan of the poetry. And I'm like, I'll be a great introduction for you. I remember saying that exact phrase and then afterwards, uh, which they did, like they got on camera, but they didn't put on the show. He was like, I never knew. Like you opened my eyes to a world that I never saw before. Well, that blind spot that we all carry, that's kind of what you do though. In general, isn't it? You just shine light on the blind spot. That's the goal, man. Like, the, the beauty of art is it's there to comfort those in need and discomfort those who are comfortable. Like I, I step into a space, those who are in need of healing, I, I come and I, I bring words that'll resonate for this place that they're in. And I, I bring words that also help guide them to, to the healing that, you know, they're desiring to get to. But then I also, um, I also shake and rattle people's cages whose comfort is causing them to to have those types of blind spots. 
who need to be able to see like, oh, my vision might be skewed at this moment. So it's a, it's an odd job. It's a, I think, I think spoken word is more akin to comedy than it is even to music in that way. So you have this, you have this magic way of crossing over from, from what I've seen, there's, you know, there are the writers and the readers, the self-expression people, like it's for lack of uh, (laughs) poetic language, if you will, it's all about them. I wrote this, I'm going to read this. But then there's a place where people graduate to where they become a performer. Now, the way that I describe it is, is that we can write about one of two ways. We can write into um, our thinking, right? We can write into our feeling. Or what if we could write into somebody else's listening? And that to me is where you've got this magic stick. And that magic stick is being able to not only, like you still honor all of it, because that's really the core. But you have this magic stick where you just go, hey, this is your listening. By the way, I'm going to open it up now. And you give that gift, right? It's it's like a classic uh, gift scenario. What What's the most magical part? Giving a gift or receiving a gift? And I always say uh, in mind that the most magical part of this job, of this world, is not the things that I say. The magic part is you receiving them. So at what point did that shift for you? I think in that training season, um, I tried out for AGT in 2017, uh, right after I got done doing my tour, um, and like 25 city tour. And I tried out for the show, thought I was good. And uh, the way you find out that you don't make the show is you see commercials with people who you auditioned with oh. in front of the judges. Oh, that's terrible. So, so I remember looking and I was like, yo, isn't that kid with the tuba, the guy who was in the same room as me? Oh, I guess I didn't make it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And that spurred me to say, let's go study. And I didn't even just study poetry. Like I studied a, a, a slew of different art forms. Like, you know, as I mentioned before, comedy, I think is uh, comedians and spoken word artists are very similar in the way that we build tension with words and only words. Comedians have to make you laugh. I get the chance to make you feel however I choose. I can make you laugh, cry, smile, whatever. Um, So I studied my favorite comedians like Dave Chappelle in particular. Like I studied his work heavily, the way that he would use pauses and breaks to be able to just cut through people and through topics, the way that he would uh, do callbacks from the top of the show to the end of the show. I I studied battle rappers and how abrasive they can be, but they're some of the best writers of double entendres Mm -hmm. that I've ever heard. (laughs) And being able to figure out like, oh man, like they, like the dog, that that writing is so phenomenal. And even performing, like they're some of the best performers in terms of bringing life to the bars that they wrote to then even studying like page poets, like a uh, Langston Hughes and a Maya Angelou and seeing the metaphorical language that they had. Though he, was, he wasn't he was a poet, he wrote poetically, Martin Luther King Jr. And just how beautiful their writing was. I'm like, how do I melt all of these skills together? Looking at somebody like Kendrick Lamar and saying like, yo, like I see the master class that you put into your writing as well as into your performance. How do I steal from you like an artist? Um, And I think my ability to become the performer I am came once I mastered my writing and said, yo, as a writer, I'm writing, I'm writing this knowing that they'll only hear it once. They, they may not get a second chance to hear this. So they have to get it the first time. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's when the performance part kicked in. There are many people listening right now to the shift that will say, ah, poetry, never really been my jam. We sort of carry that echo from elementary school, right? Like write a haiku and um, don't use a contraction or whatever rule they want to put on it for the day. And what do you say to that person? Like if you could walk up to one person who has never really just cared, they just don't care. It's just never been their thing. How do you invite that person to sit down with Brandon Leek and, and just say, hey, I got something for you that 
hey, maybe maybe you'll love it. Yeah, I would. I would say, do you have five minutes? Um, may I share a poem with you? And then, like, I'd ask him a couple questions beforehand. I'd be like, question, do you enjoy your job? And 65% of the world, statistically, does not enjoy the actual job that they go to. I'd say, and I'd ask, I'd be like, why don't you enjoy it? They'd give their reasoning, and I would say, okay, well, you know, I spent this last minute talking to you about your employment. Let me tell you about my experience with mine. Imagine willingly subjecting yourself to a task that wears down your soul more quickly than a mama's patience with two kids who are living in a grocery store, who have hands of adhesive and arms of elastic. This is what it feels like to walk into work most mornings, to stare at a building and contemplate all the ways I can make that thing burn without it looking like arson. I mean, you know, Cheryl does keep her space heater a bit too close to, you know, her trash can at her desk. So I mean, a loose paper or two here mixed with a crank to high heat there. And whew, I got at least a few days off before they like to have us continue working in the remains. But ain't that capitalism for you? She'll see you burn to death in an attempt to court her. But once you smoldered to ash, she'll still say that you ain't earned a burial and I'll still be here at work tomorrow trying to fit my God-sized dreams into this nine-by-five cubicle and while simultaneously trying to two-step to the tune of my aspirations and my coworkers are so irritated. They say I'm way too loud and I'm absorbing way too much real estate. Well, Cheryl, I'm so sorry that, you know, my dreams require more space than your heater does, but I think you'll realize the only reason this place has grown so cold is because it's become a morgue to store the dreams that you all let die, or maybe this has always been you. Maybe this space hasn't caused your soul to atrophy. Maybe I am taking up too much real estate in your home, but understand I ain't got no choice. Capitalism has forced my residency and currency, which I've never found value in, but it's the only thing that this country seemed to be valuing. And as for me, I'd rather find value and purpose through the continuance of new experience, discovering how home is every place I press pen to pat on, allow for the world to be my stage and the curtain only closes for my after party in heaven and ain't there something divine about that? How writing these poems is the closest that I ever felt to God, the way I can turn ink into a universe with the sweat of my hand, no matter why, no matter why God, no wonder why God chose words to bring light to existence. It's the most powerful thing that one can ever share. They say, if you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life. And I want to spend mine creating stories as frequently as I create memories. And doing that, I know that the sweat, tears, and blood I shed will have not been in vain, but you see, that's just me. Maybe you, Cheryl, have find bound found vitality within these four walls. Maybe you discovered home in a routine that you can lean on, found love in the consistency this place brings. I'm not trying to knock your nine to five hustle, but the parts of myself I love most are dying under this frigid regime. My creativity's curved, free reigns downpour has ceased. They threw a book at me, said I either live or die by their code and my soul, hypothermia. You see, America, it loves art. They love their movies, music, and museums, but they can't stand the artists that breathe life into them. They demand our art and then deny us our living. I had a conversation with a friend and he said, man, I think artists make their best work when they're closest to the grave. And I wondered, is that why they try to starve us? Question, is that how you felt about work? The root of, thank you, fantastic, um, is belonging like that? Because to me, that question is, do you belong? Where do you belong? Yeah. Uh, is belonging a big piece of, uh, of who you are? I mean, because you've mentioned that um, from different, many different perspectives, even in that piece. You've mentioned it many times before. You mentioned it in the story about your sister, is that... Um, um, trying to find where you belong, you know, whether yep. with God, your wife, um, at work. Yeah. I think belong, I think belonging and community is the, is at the very core of the human experience as siloed and isolated as people try to make themselves. I think belonging is something that we all inevitably strive for and people respond to its absence or presence and want to 
in one of several ways, but two of the most prominent is either embracing it or shunning it. Um, the people who push other people away are oftentimes the ones who need them most. And the reason why they push people away is because of the trauma that's come from either their presence or their absence. And they say, oh, I'll be better off without them here because of the ways I've been hurt or the ways that, you know, the ways in which they're the ways in I've been hurt by their absence or hurt by their presence here with me. Um, so yeah, belonging for me is, you know, if people find weakness in needing others. I, I find strength in it. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is I'm, I'm not meant to be siloed. Like that's why, you know, in prisons, solitary confinement is a massive punishment. Because to deny other people the human experience with others is detrimental to them. Who's on your hoodie? Oh, this is me. <laughs> this is actually the hoodie I wore. It's just the black version of the one I wore on stage for my pookie pole. Nice. I like the pookie. Um, you have uh, you have kids. Uh, you're married. Can you can you share um, your wife's name with us? Yeah, my wife's name is Anna. My daughter's name is Aaliyah. And my baby boy, who will be here in August, shall remain unnamed until he arrives. I would recommend Shane, just saying. <laughs> Selfishly. Um, the uh, What a gift to have someone like Anna who encourages you to chase your dreams. Although, I should probably doubt her judgment when she says, take the car that breaks down. I mean, hmm, that one's questionable. <laughs> but um, the uh, Aaliyah as your daughter and the story of your sister who died so young. Can you share your heart with us about how magical that might be for you to look at Aaliyah and know this the story of your sister? Yeah. I. Uh, the funniest part is they looked, they, they looked so similar at the age that my sister passed and the age when my daughter hit that time, uh, eight and a half months old. I, uh, it's intriguing cause I, my little brother is 14 years younger than me. Right. And I remember when he turned eight and a half months old, I hovered like a parent would over him to make sure that he'd be good. Cause my sister passed away of a heart condition that was completely treatable had the doctors taken the opportunity to inform my mother. Um, have you ever seen the movie John Q with Denzel Washington? I, it rings a bell. He I, held up a, he held up a hospital to get his son a new heart. Right. I remember that. Yep. That's right. Yep. So that, that same disease was what got my sister. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so like my mom can't even watch the movie. Um, but, uh, so yeah. Um, when my daughter hit nine months old, I remember looking at her and I, I said, man, I never even got this much time with your aunt. And that like really sat with me. I was like, man, as fast as this flew by, I'm like, I still remember those small moments with my sister. I still remember those like, huge milestones when she finally started walking and stomping around the house and how cool that was. I remember her being able to like stand up on her own. I remember those things. And I'm like, and, and really more than anything, it just solidified to me how strong of a woman my mother was and how strong of a woman my mother is because she granted me a childhood after losing a child. And I couldn't imagine the wreck my life would be right now if if my daughter were to were to pass. Mm -hmm. What was your sister's name? Her name was Danielle. We, uh, I, I thank you for sharing all these incredibly um, personal names. I, I I believe that they come to life when we put a name behind everybody, right? Um, and it's just a name, but somehow in our hearts they they hold. They go from being person to to uh, to someone as soon as we put a name on it. Um, thank you for sharing that story. It, it must be remarkable to, to look at your kids and go through that and the gratitude you carry with your mother um, and where things would be. Is it the gift? Is that the gift that, that happened that in hindsight, when you look back, I mean, the gift that Danielle gave you, that your mom gave you, that 
you know, that, that lets you be present today, because I, I gotta tell you, uh, Brandon, I mean, I look forward to this chat for, for, um, a long time here. Cause we've been sort of communicating for a bunch of weeks and your ability to be present. Like I can feel it here on a zoom call in conversation. Like you have this, you have this ability to be present that I haven't experienced in a long time. And I'm really grateful for it right now. And I, it makes me curious. And I realize this is a, a deeply personal question, but is this the kind of gift that comes from, you know, that eight months with your sister and, and then a mother who somehow recovers and pours everything into you? It's a, uh, it comes in spurts. It's, it is a gift that I think comes from tragic loss in recognition that time is not a friend. Uh, but it's, a uh, you know, time is an escort, as I like to say, not like, you know, in the a sense that people like to use it now, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, well. it's, a uh, time, time is really, you know, it's, it's the homie that holds your hand for a season and then introduces you to your next friend, mm. you know? Um, that's how I look at time. It's like, you know, like I get a season with you and then I transition to the next season. Um, and, uh, yeah, but also I'm, I struggle with being present at times too. Um, because my ambition gets the best of me, um, with all the stuff that I'm working on and all the things that I can do, um, you know, 10,000 feet above everything with 30 things on the, on the burner, trying to make sure nothing burns. And, uh, as I, I actually, I credit my wife for helping me really key in on learning the value of presence in the midst of a moment and how it's like, yo, you can be here, but not be here. Um, because I used to be really great at it until I started trying to make my art a profession. And then I stopped being as good. And my wife reminded me of how good I used to be at it. I, I wrote a piece that um, just recently in my, in my going through my day about time that um, I've shared it on, on the shift before, but I, I feel like it's relevant now is, is um, no two nows are ever the same. And the magic that we can find when we're here and, um, and just to be grateful for, for this time. So I, 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 and I am, so let me use that. You, you talked about all the other things we're doing. Um, you have a book coming out, you have a short film that you've been working on, and then there's all kinds of things that lawyers say we can't talk about. So can you, what, can you tell us about the book and tell, tell us about the, um, about the film? Yeah, so I have a book that'll be coming out in January. Um, it's filled with a bunch of poems that I've written that aren't necessarily for the stage. Um, I think there's a lot of work that is meant to be heard and a lot of work that's meant to be read. And um, so I, uh, my book is going to be coming out in January. So I, uh, it'll be anywhere and everywhere you can purchase books. I don't know if you guys have Barnes & Noble in Canada. We have books in Canada. No, no Barnes and Noble. I'm just teasing. We uh, no, we don't oh. have Barnes and Noble. We have Indigo is the big one. Chapters in Indigo is our big uh, one. Up here. Yep. So yeah, it'll be it'll be up there, and then uh, I'll be doing a, I'll be doing a Canada tour as soon as uh, I'm allowed to come visit y'all. Yeah. Um. So, and then uh, my short film is entitled Complexity. It is a uh, I wrote it about four years ago, and it's funny how when I share what it's about, how people always say that sounds very timely um the short film is an examination about um the relationship between the black community the american black community and the christian religion and it's displayed through this metaphor of this young black boy whose father gets killed in a traffic stop and then seven years later he ends up at the same church as the police officer who killed his father Wow. And it's a it's a week long journey of what his decision will be to do come next Sunday. Yeah, wow, that's uh, that's amazing perspective. Uh, thank you for everything that uh, you've shared with us today. Um, it's you're not a hard guy to find, so I'm just going to invite everybody to Google Brandon Leak, um, and you're going to find him everywhere. Uh, check out the stuff on YouTube. 
You've been so generous with your time with us here on the shift. So thank you for that. No stressing. Can I run a poem I'm working on by you? Absolutely. I would love to hear it. So I'm, uh, I'm working at a, so you guys call, do you all, do you guys call high school secondary school? Uh, mostly high school. Um, it is okay. secondary in some places. Like it would be like, um, Brandon Leak's secondary school, um, on one school, but then the other one across the street could be, um, Anna Leak's high school. Right. So a ah. little bit of both for the most part, I think in just common vocabulary, it's I go to high school. Okay. Cool. So I'm working on a poem with a really good friend of mine named uh, Black Chakra out of Baltimore. And uh, we're doing a poem called Doing Time. And it's about how prison like high school is here in the States. Um, And it's like you got you had to do a four year bid essentially for your freedom or into adulthood. And so uh, this this poem is not done. This is merely two stanzas. And these are both real instances of people who I know from high school. Not their real names, though, because I don't want nobody coming to G-check me afterwards. Um, (laughs) So here it is. Jose was a chubby kid. Freshman year, nerded out, picked on, so he shed tears, or so I heard through word of mouth. So soon summer came, and he learned sign language was the easiest way to gain acceptance. And with all of this knowledge, when you know the chubby kid turned Papi Chulo, because... Homie was back and forth on state lines like suicide, shredding weight at every stop the way he grade across the block. But it's been like 13 years and I hear him and his fiends still staring at a clock, the irony. Because who would have thought that being caught in a high school bid could turn a nerdy kid cool? So much so he had to defrost in a box and Janet, she was a sweetheart. Just couldn't control the beat of her instrument, heart pounding like a mile a minute. I mean, hummingbird beauty. The way she could remain completely still and still leave us young boys heart struck like steel. But in reality, most of us boys were none but flowers. Developed a hardened exterior to survive our environment. But somehow, Janet, she could just float above it. Our hidden beauty, she could see it, even if it was a facade, just hoping that if she poked through it, she could draw out our beauty to the surface. But too many of these perceptive predators played prey to manipulate her pounding heart, to disengage her fluttered wings, just hoping to pollinate her beak. And now over the course of these last seven days, where it spread through the streets so they can make her weak. And they did. And she did. Found more use for her beak with them two lips than she did for her wings. Without a, without a thought about the agony double standards truly bring. Did you know that hummingbirds have one of the shortest lifespans of all birds? I didn't either. Didn't realize this until my release date. The graduation claps fluttered around the room, just like she used to. Wow. Wow. Brandon League. That's <laughs> a thing of beauty. And, um, and you are you are too. Thank you, man. And I, I must say, it's an immense pleasure to be able to uh, converse and engage with somebody who's not, um, for the sake of uh, being candid, rehearsed as this industry most certainly is. Yeah. We're real people here. So <laughs> I appreciate you doing the same. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's the Shift Podcast. It is a technological world and solocore.com. If you want to check his uh, blog with all of this info in case there's something that you forget, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com at solocore on the socials. Blaine Kylo, if there was a TV show that you would like to see come back, and it's okay if they're all dead, um, reboot, remake, whatever, is there one of yours that you hold dear to your heart that you'd like to see? HR Puffin Stuff. HR Puffin Stuff? Yeah, see, that's not even going to register for you. But HR Puffin no. stuff was a psychedelic acid trip created by a bunch of hippies for kids 
um, in Ontario eons ago. And I don't even know really when and where I saw it. I just have memories of seeing it and thinking that there was something very strange on the TV. So <laughs> HR Puff and stuff should come back. I seem to remember the name and some storyline that somebody else told me about it, but I do not know that from. It was like from, a great uh, HR Puffin stuff was like, they were all like walking Muppets. So people sized Muppets in these costumes and HR Puffin stuff was kind of like a, a mayor McCheese kind of a thing with a great big hamburger like head and witchy poo had this was, was the, the nemesis and had this, rocket ship like broom that she would fly all over the place like i'm not kidding it was written by a bunch of people on acid wow Great i uh, i had no idea oh my okay hr puff and stuff you're right it is kind of like a mayor mccheese giant head that's good enough to give you nightmares um holy okay well shall we move on to video games and, hey, where, um, where were you? Where were you twenty years ago? Do you know where you were twenty years ago? Twenty years ago, I was yeah. uh, in Calgary working radio. Two thousand and one, mm -hmm. Microsoft decides that it wants to get into the business of video game consoles, and so oh, they wow. come up with this console called the Xbox. I remember. I remember that's the, the very thing, first one that I ever bought it, for myself. And it was, it was Microsoft entering, and I mean, this was sort of the resurgence of the video game industry at that point, too, because it had kind of flourished in the 70s and early 80s and then died a miserable death when the companies couldn't sustain their business models. And so you had, at that time, Nintendo, and you had Sony, and then you had Microsoft come out with this Xbox thing, but they had something going for them. They had a killer app for their Xbox and it was this little game developed by Bungie called Halo. And from there, you get a 20-year career and a pretty good business for Microsoft. And we're celebrating 20 years of Xbox all this year. Halo, so Xbox was the first thing that I really bought for myself for video games because I never was a big gamer. And then there was the stuff in the 80s. And then, then Xbox came out which was really cool because, of course, I could drink beer now. So that became a lot more fun when you could have some drinks and play Xbox, and that was the game that I played. Was It was Halo, and that was it. And it, I kind of felt like there was no top in it after that, and that was the peak, and I don't know if I ever kept on it. Well, there's all kinds of things that Microsoft is doing this year to celebrate 20 years. Um, you can register for the Xbox Fan Fest, which is online events, um, ex access to exclusive Xbox gear and things like that, giveaways. And it's all going to culminate, they say, on November 15th, which was actually launch day back in 2001. And uh, the hope is maybe we're playing that new Halo game by then. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Um, if you could remake any of those older games, is there one that hasn't been remade yet since we're doing the remake conversation, Blaine? You know what? There are so many games to play now. I'm not interested too much in remaking older games. Um, I'm totally fine with older games being remastered and brought back so that we can play them. But they come from a particular place and time. And so I think that they should stay there. You can reboot games in the way that Tomb Raider was rebooted a couple of years ago. And so it's not like you're remaking the game, but you're taking that world, you're taking that concept, and you're bringing it into what games are now. So I don't think that it's remaking as much as reimagining. What about Utopia? Can we get in television Utopia remade and turn into something real today? Because that would be cool. You can take that idea and see where you run with it. I don't know if it'd be <laughs> as interesting. But but that there is like good luck with that. There is something to be said for revisiting these older games. And in fact, last week Electronic Arts released Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which collects the famous Bioware trilogy that kind of changed what we thought was possible in a role-playing action adventure. I think we've got a clip. This isn't about strategy or tactics. This is about survival. The Reapers are here. 
Sounds very Star Wars. Well, that is the amazing Jennifer Hale playing Commander Shepard, a clip from the third game in the series, the Mass Effect series. One of the things that Mass Effect did in in ways that no game had done before is it gave you a chance to decide the gender of your character. So you, everybody's playing Commander Shepard, but your Commander Shepard is different from my Commander Shepard. You could personalize the look of your character. You could pick male or female. Jennifer Hale did all of the voices for the female Sheps. Femme Sheps was what they came to be known as. And Mark Meir did the dialogue for the male Commander Shepherds. But the other thing that Mass Effect did is Bioware came up with a system so that the decisions that you made as a player changed the game that you played. So you could actually make decisions that would result in the deaths of some significant characters in the game, and that carried through. So your game, not only your character, but your game would be different than mine based on the decisions that you made. And they went a step further. In Mass Effect 2, all of the decisions that you made in Mass Effect 1 came with you into the next game. When you play Mass Effect 3, all of the decisions that you'd made before come with you into that final game. Nobody had done that before, and in fact, nobody's really done it since, because it turns out it was not an easy thing to do. It sounds like um, you get to a point where you might want to hit the reset button, that's for sure. And it is interesting. We were just having this conversation here, Blaine, about uh, Nintendo and... Or Nintendo. Yeah, the Wii. When the Wii did the Wii Fitness... And then you got on the scale, and then your little avatar weighed you, and then all of a sudden it went bloop and made you more, at least mine made me more round than it should have been. Is, does this do that to you too, or is it a little bit more kind than the Wii was? Well, you it's not like it's measuring your body and creating the character. You get to create the character, so you can change the facial features, you can change hair color and thing like that. You can also go with the standards if you want, but... The, the, the people who are going to play Mass Effect, and I really encourage everybody to play it because it, it really is storytelling unlike you've ever seen before. Coming out of Edmonton, the studio, Bioware, um, they, they're just, they're known for their character development and their narrative. But it's also a game that was first made in 2007, and it plays like a game that was made in 2007. This is not a remake, this is a remaster. So they've redone visuals, and it looks better. There's no loading screens to speak of, so it plays faster, but it's still a little clunky compared to the kinds of real fast first-person shooters that we're used to today. But if you go in with a little bit of patience, and you're okay spending time selecting dialogue choices so you can have long conversations with really interesting characters, Bioware's Mass Effect is the pinnacle of role-playing games. Wow, that's an endorsement. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Uh, Blaine Kylo, solocore.com for his blog and more. Let's talk about data tracking and iPhone switch gears into the uh, into the devices. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about iOS 14.5, the new operating system for iPhones and iPads. And this is Apple introducing app tracking transparency. Apple essentially saying, hey, we don't think that everybody should have to opt out of being tracked by apps that are on their devices. We think that they should instead opt in. And it turns out a lot of people, when they're asked whether they want to track, uh, don't want to be tracked. Um, Flurry, which is a Verizon company that's in the business of doing mobile analytics, has determined that somewhere between 6 and 15% of iPhone users actually say, yes, I would like to be tracked. Please track me. Which means that 85 to 94% of us had said, no, Facebook, I do not want you to track me after I finish using the Facebook app. You should just stay there in your own little place and leave me alone. You think they'll listen? They have to. Yeah, I don't know. They seem to have amazing ways to skirt things, don't they? Um, well, now this, this, is, is... this is only on iPad. This is only on iPhones, right? So right. if you're if you're using an Android device, you don't have the same kind of a thing. Google's now talking about doing something similar, and there's lots of movement throughout the entire internet business and industry 
to revisit what it means to track people? Well, if you've ever read about the history of Facebook um, when that data tracking stuff, you will see that this next story that you've brought to us is kind of ironic because of some of where Facebook's uh, funding dollars have come from. Installing a Russian keyboard configuration on your computer can help you too. Excuse the irony. I invite you to do some article reading if you don't know what that means, but um, Russian keyboard can help you. Yeah, this is really interesting. So one of the things that came out of the Colonial Pipeline hack um, uh, last week, it was something that was perpetrated by DarkSide, according to the FBI. Um, Brian Krebs, who's a security analyst, has actually figured out that some of the code in that malware that created the issue, um, because DarkSide is a Russian-based entity, they don't want to actually infect Russian computers that might get them into trouble with the Russian government because that would be bad. So they've actually coded this malware so that if they think that they're on a computer that might have ties to Russia, the malware will fail to install. And so one of the simple ways that you might be able to prevent your computer from um, ending up with any of this malware on it is to simply install the Russian keyboard set or the Russian language input on your computer. And there's instructions at my website to tell you how to do that. Solocore.com. So, so basically, if I understand correctly, the, the virus gets into the computer, goes to install itself, looks to see if there's a Russian keyboard set up, and goes, oh, this person could be Russian, could be a friend, don't install here. Exactly. Wow. Is that concerning? That's concerning, Blaine. <laughs> well, it, it's not It's not necessarily going to last forever. That's, that's something that, you know, once they realize that we're on to them, they'll change that up. But for the time being, it there is no impact on your computer's performance. It's not going to impact you negatively at all, and it might actually save you. Interesting. That's crazy. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. Great to see your face. Thanks for popping on again. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.